0: Welcome to Zero Trust 30, I'm your host George Wilkes and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. We've got an exciting and somewhat different episode today, where we're going to be talking about the intergenerational differences that impact enterprise cybersecurity teams. My co-host and returning guest is Julie Price, who's the Chief Marketing Officer here at AppGate. Uh, Julie has nearly a decade of a cybersecurity marketing experience, including stops at RSAM, Danvala, and Dell SecureWorks. We're also joined by our special guest, who is Henry Rose Lee. And Henry Rose Lee is an intergenerational and diversity and inclusion expert. And so, it's going to be a very interesting conversation, obviously no cybersecurity background, but there's going to be a really interesting perspective that comes to the table. So, Henry is one of few experts in intergenerational diversity. Uh, this is an emerging science and management skill of maximizing the engagement, the collaboration and productivity within and across the five distinct generations in today's workplace. Her expertise in the field comes from 15 years of working for companies such as Philofax and Saltier in business development and sales, where performance and results are demanded. She's also 17 years of experience as an HR qualified consultant and master certified coach researching and developing diagnostic tools on human motivation, generational attitudes, and behaviors at work. Julie and Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Would you mind just saying hello to the audience so that they know that you
1: are here and human?
2: Hi, this is Julie. It's great to be with uh, you again, George, for this podcast. Really looking forward to this topic.
1: And hi, this is Henry. You're right. I don't know much about cybersecurity, but I'm looking forward to the discussion around intergenerational uh, work, uh, particularly in the cybersecurity space. That's awesome.
0: Well, before we jump into the uh, into the meat of today's podcast, we do like to play a little game that's called What's Bugging You? It's just a little icebreaker. Um, so I'm just going to ask a very simple question. It's, it's What's Bugging You? And take it away from there. Um, you know, Julie, let's go ahead and start with you. What's bugging you today?
2: <laughs> I'm going to keep it really simple. What's bugging me today is winter. I am not a cold weather person. If it's lower than 75 degrees, I'm not happy. So I'm not enjoying winter, but I keep thinking positively that it's about a month away from when we spring the clocks forward, which always makes me think spring is on the way. So there's the silver lining. Henry, how about you? Uh,
1: What's bugging me is perhaps a little more political. Um, I'm based in the UK and everybody, everybody in the UK is talking about hybrid work How we're going into a hybrid working model, so some days in the office, some days working from home, like it's going to be fine. But that worries me for two reasons. Our media isn't talking about the fact that between 50 and 60 percent of people globally can't do hybrid work. They have to go into a workplace in order to work. So they might be in a factory or a warehouse or they might be a frontline worker. So nobody's talking about what's going to happen with them. And the other thing is our media isn't writing about the youngest generations who've really struggled with all of the lockdowns and uh, losing their jobs or being furloughed or, you know, losing out on education. They're just saying, oh, they can come into the mixed hybrid work, sometimes in the office, sometimes at home. And they're not really talking about their mental health and how difficult it's been for them. And I know that this is something that's not just in the UK, but um, in the US as well. So that's what's bugging me.
0: Yeah. That's a good answer. There really is no one size fits all, and it's very difficult to uh, appease the masses, right? And take into consideration everybody's generational differences, or even just work style preferences. Um, Thank you for sharing that. So, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know today's topic is talking about the intergenerational differences. You know, Henry is going to bring a a very unique perspective there. Um, Just a little bit of background for the audience, and so we did. Commission a uh, a study, right, a report uh, that Henry helped us uh, produce, and we basically took this exact problem. We, we really wrote about it at nauseum, uh, talking about how do the general generational differences impact enterprise cybersecurity teams. So we're going to look at the impact of baby boomers exiting the workforce. Um, the skill and knowledge gaps that they're leaving behind with them, which obviously is especially concerning for this particular industry, given that we already have a skill shortage gap. Uh, so we're going to unpack that a little bit and then just generally kind of talk about the the differences in how baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials uh, all think about cybersecurity and risk and kind of think about how these generational differences do translate over to potential increases in risks or just challenges for uh, organizations who are looking to uh, shore up their cybersecurity posture. So let's go ahead and start this, Julie, with you, if you wouldn't mind. You know, given that we worked and, and wanted to put this report together, in your mind, what was the inspiration for exploring this topic?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. We were really trying to think of um, an interesting, fresh kind of survey. And we're just in a brainstorming session. And and part of the conversation turned to some interesting customer case studies we had. And one of them really stood out. It was a global bank that came to us with a unique problem, which was um, how could they apply modern secure access to their legacy mainframe computers? Um, If you think about uh, a lot of the solutions today, they're cloud native, um, they're built to work um, with cloud applications, they're not designed to work with legacy technology. So this company was struggling, and um, luckily we were able to um, provide our solution to to solve their problem. But what came out of the brainstorming was the fact that mainframes are still so prevalent in um, the business world. There's an IBM survey that says 71% of Fortune 500 companies still use them, 96 of the world's largest 100 banks still use mainframes, and 90% of all credit card transactions run across mainframes. So you think, wow, there's a lot of them out there, and they're probably not going away anytime soon. So a lot of companies are going to be faced with this security conundrum, which got us thinking, well, what about the people that are running these mainframes? Um, these have been or some of these have been around since the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So there's clearly probably some inherent knowledge of more mature workers that were, you know, grown up on mainframes and understand how to run them and what happens when they start to retire. So um, that was kind of what got our, you know, brains clicking around this idea of, you know, IT can be seen in generational buckets, people that came up through different phases of technology, and how does this impact um, technology today, um, new technology that's coming onto the scene, and then what happens when um, all of this legacy knowledge retires with a worker?
1: Yeah,
0: it's really interesting. And that's obviously then what spurred you to go out and find an expert like Henry Rose Lee here. I guess, you know, Henry, for you, given the cybersecurity isn't your background, um, what did you find like interesting about this study? Like what, what, what drew you toward wanting to, to work with us on this?
1: I think what I found most interesting, and you're right, it's not my background, was that we're dealing with people and every single industry is going to deal with people. People make the difference. So if I look at cybersecurity, there's a kind of triangle of technology, infrastructure and people. And so that that kind of automatically caught my interest because I know that people are going to make the difference. And um, I also think that across sectors, and not just cybersecurity, uh, but including cybersecurity, ageism is alive and well. So we're allowing, sometimes even encouraging, our older generations like baby boomers who are aged uh, in their mid-50s to mid-70s, we're letting them leave and we're letting all of that experience and knowledge and skills go with them. And if you think about the fact that they've been there at the dawn of technologies and they've been involved in these mainframes and you you just heard all the statistics that Julie shared with us, that's an awful lot of mainframe legacy system still in place. And if people are leaving in their droves that we've been reading about, baby boomers have been leaving, particularly because of the pandemic, then all of that information is going, all of that expertise is going, and that's going to be a loss to cybersecurity. Indeed, a loss to any industry.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you think about how quickly uh, technology changes. You know, in any in, in any industry, right? I mean, it's not. I, I think the equivalent of one year is almost the same as ten years in terms of the evolution of what technology can do and what it looks like. And so, um, that rapid evolution creates significant knowledge gaps. You know, there's there's a stark difference between managing a mainframe versus building microservice architectures in a cloud native environment. Um, And the young guns are probably coming in and thinking that, you know, that's all I need to know. Uh, Really interesting stuff. And so, you know, what I found really interesting is that while baby boomers are retiring from the workforce in record numbers due to the pandemic, there seemed to be a strong call to action in this report. Uh, for enterprises to consider, how do you get these baby boomers back in involved within the cyber se- cybersecurity workforce? Why is that? Can you can you maybe shed a little bit of light on that? And Henry, I'll start with you for from from the the generational standpoint, and then you know, Julie, obviously, please chime in here.
1: I think from a generational standpoint, it makes uh, business sense to keep older generations in a workforce when they've got the information and uh, the experience of dealing with legacy systems. They've probably installed some of them, they've managed some of them, so it would be dangerous to let them go. And I think what's essential in terms of baby boomers, it's not just that knowledge and skills and experience, but also the fact that they have very well-developed emotional intelligence. And that can be very useful in dealing with the the challenges that are faced in cybersecurity or with cyber threats what you need is somebody who's going to be able to manage their own state manage good relationships be good with stakeholder relationships you know manage stress be resilient and that's something that all of these older generations are good at so so they're, they're positive in two ways one is because they've got this emotional intelligence they're grown-ups they're mature they're good at what they do but also they've got this experience and and i think the way to get them back is to encourage them not to leave in the first place if they do want to leave then i think i'd be looking at them and saying Why don't we as organizations encourage them to come back as troubleshooters or associates or consultants who can problem solve, who can mentor or train or coach younger generations so that their expertise isn't lost? I'm I'm not saying they shouldn't retire if they want to, but maybe there's a way we can get them back part time or, you know, in some way to to support the system. Because, as Julie said, these uh, these systems have been in place for decades and the chances are they're going to be in place for decades further. So that's what I would do.
0: Yeah, I guess a question that I'll pose to you, Julie, is you know as you're talking to organizations like these financial institutions that have mainframes, does there seem to be a general end in sight, or you know do can we anticipate that mainframes and legacy infrastructure is going to be here for uh, at least the foreseeable future, and these are going to concomit- these are con- con- going to continue to be problem areas for modern security practices.
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think the the answer is that they will continue to be around for a while. For one reason, because they cost so much less. Um, I saw an interesting stat that said mainframes handle about sixty eight percent of the world's production IT workloads, yet account for only six percent six of the costs. So they're very cost effective. Um, I I also saw another survey with 400 IT leaders where three quarters of them said they had started a modernization program, which was um, part of it aimed at decommissioning mainframes, Um, but they never completed them. And the reasons are they they cited fear of change, lack of funding, and the diminishing number of people who knew how to run these mainframes. So Um, there's these interesting things at play. So they definitely appear to be um, uh, something that's going to be around for a while. And at the same time, um, as Henry um, had noted, you know, one in 10 baby boomers have left the workforce in the last 12 months, certainly um, accelerated by COVID and the great resignation. So how do we account for this skills gap? Because anyone who's close to IT knows that The IT skills gap is even a greater percentage than in the um, employee population at large. And so, Henry, you know,
0: when you were were doing the study, um, starting to look at some of the data, having these interviews, having these conversations with people, I'd be curious to get a sense, you know, as you start looking at boomers, Gen Xs, and millennials, for those three specifically, what did you uncover about each generation in terms of strengths and weaknesses? It'd be awesome just to level set on that.
1: Yeah, I'll start with baby boomers. So baby boomers at age mid fifties to mid seventies, they're really legacy technology heroes, aren't they? They were there at the the dawn of a lot of these technologies. Uh, They've worked with a lot of these platforms for decades. Overall, great work ethic, believe in hard work, and they believe in the the fact that hard work is gonna deliver a better future. They have excellent social and communication skills. So they really grew up with that transition from mainframe to personal computing. And I think that those strengths, as as we've already talked about, are useful for that legacy series of systems, which is going to be around for some time to come. Um, I think also their emotional intelligence is very useful for stakeholder relationships and working across teams. Weaknesses might be that what can sometimes happen with baby boomers is they get kind of fixed mindset. They know what they know and they tried it last year and it didn't work. So why would we try it again type of thing? Um, and that they might not be as interested in new technologies as younger generations. Um, and I think that, that sometimes that's one of the reasons why it's good to have a mix of different generations and have that intergenerational diversity, because sometimes you can get a certain level of fixed mindset where people have seen it all, done it all, bought the T-shirt. And so that sometimes can be a weakness. That, that's really baby boomers. Um, in terms of Gen X, they're in their early 40s to their mid 50s. They're very independent, autonomous, self-starting generation. It was that generation that really benefited from the increase in global travel, in global infrastructure. Uh, They had mobile phones, they really got used to email. And I guess there's a, a number of things which are really strong about them. They're a fantastic bridge or conduit, if you like, between older generations like baby boomers and younger generations like millennials. Um, And they can happily collaborate with with both uh, those sides. And they've happily adopted uh, new technologies. They're kind of digital migrants, if you like. Um, And they play a pivotal role, I think, because they're this kind of bridge between older and younger generations. Um, they're supposed to be very good at collaborating but if I if I was summing up a potential weakness I would say that very autonomy and independence can mean that actually what they'd rather be is left alone to do their own thing and so if they feel you're in their team they're happy to collaborate with you but my findings have been that if they don't think they're you're in their team then they'll be happy to work without you they don't want to be micromanaged give me the problem let me work on it and so again it would be good to have different generations working together so that you haven't sometimes got that gen x view of kind of like leave it with me, I'll do it. Um, I think also if we then move on to millennials, um, what is probably strongest about them, their kind of mid-20s to late 30s, early 40s, is their energy, their enthusiasm and also their training. Um, I'm finding that the youngest talent coming into cybersecurity are well-educated, they're well-trained. Yes, there's a skills gap but the ones that are there are good at what they do. Um, They love things to be smooth, friction-free, easy to do. They're very um, enthusiastic about new things. They love innovation, novelty, variety, and change, cybersecurity, and all those technologies. What a great place to work. So they really love that. And we would call them tech-savvy digital natives, wouldn't we? But are they as cyber-savvy as we might think? One of the things that my research found was that there may be sometimes... In um, millennials, an element of a, a kind of laissez faire attitude, a bit too relaxed to cybersecurity, and they may lack a certain level of accountability and understanding. Um, they have lower levels of emotional intelligence, and their desire for a rapid, frictionless, trouble free series of work in the cybersecurity world might mean that. Um, they would be more likely to pay a ransom. In fact, I found some research that said that 39% of the millennials that were um, researched would pay a ransom in order to get back to work quickly if there was some um, cybersecurity ransomware or or a demand for ransom because of uh, cyber fraud. And that's nine percentage points higher than any other generation. Also, millennials seem to be more optimistic when things go wrong, particularly in cybersecurity. And they said it would take six days faster than any other generation to put things right. In fact, millennials are twice as likely to prioritize speed and ease of use over security when they're handling sensitive data. And they're three times more likely to try and avoid security policies in order to get around something so that they could quickly get back to work or sort something out quickly. So that more relaxed attitude is maybe a bit of a weakness. And again, that would lead me to believe that having baby boomers, Gen X and millennials in the workplace is going to mitigate against the potential weaknesses of all generations.
0: Wow. Uh, One of the things that stuck out to me there is even just outside of cybersecurity and IT and networking teams is just how organizations need to Develop those value propositions of using technology for talent acquisition, right? And I think, you know, Julie, this, this, we talk a lot about people to find security um, and that idea that you need to be able to give those fast, frictionless connections to users. And that's what these millennials coming into the workforce are looking for without the trade off uh, of inconvenience, right? Without the the, the, the the common security roadblocks of being able to get people to do their jobs and those tailoring to all different types of work styles. Um, you know, one of the things, Henry, I think you and I spoke about this when we were talking about the podcast is you, you can't take this as a blanket statement for people, right? And that you might be in a particular age group and identify, you know, for me, for instance, I, I identify more with like a Gen Xer, right? Although my... my my date of uh, date of birth would not necessarily put me there for the audience should we just level set of kind of like when we when we talk about Millennials and Gen Xers boomers and, and, and say that you were born from X to Y that it's not as not as kind of dry as that
1: it's not and in fact um, there is a clue in the words uh, generational theory it is in fact a theory and uh, it was uh, it started in the u.s in the late 1980s where theories were put forward about how different generations are gonna behave in different ways depending on world events. So that's basically roughly where it came from. But of course, there is nurture and nature. So if you take me, I'm the youngest of four, but I'm much more likely to come across as a baby boomer rather than a Gen X because my siblings are older than me and I was very influenced by them however if I had been the oldest child with the younger brothers and sisters then I might have influenced them and they might be more like me a Gen X or even more millennial so yes we can't really say that everybody is going to be just like I've outlined that everybody is the same kind of millennial everybody is the same kind of baby boomer but we can say two things for real and that is that emotional intelligence comes with age So all of us, when we were the same age as the youngest generations coming into the workplace today, we had a lack of emotional intelligence. And as we get older, we get more emotional intelligence. That's a fact. The other thing we can say is that world events have a different impact on you depending on what your age is. So I'm from the UK and uh, where I'm working, we care a lot about Brexit and we care a lot about Covid. And that's because I've been in work for 25 years and it's really having an impact. But if I'm a 10-year-old in the UK, I don't know what Brexit is and I'm not yet in the workplace, so it doesn't have an impact. So I think it's important to recognise that generational theory is a theory. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to behave in the way that I've just outlined in the report. But it does mean that there are some certain truisms in the world one about emotional intelligence and the other about world events they have an impact on every generation so if you take the very oldest generations that would be in the workplace today they would be um, in their 70s if they're still working uh, 70s and upwards and they would be called the silence and they would have been impacted by the first and second world wars now all of us on this podcast today we didn't experience the first or second world wars so we can't talk about it we don't think about it it hasn't impacted us but it impacted them, so that's when you can say that generational theory does have some truisms.
0: Yeah. So Julie, let's let's turn this back over to you then. So, um, you know, what I heard from Henry is 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 there's a lot of knowledge gap prevention. I guess is a horrible way of summarizing it. Um, but, uh, you know, you want to make sure that as people leave the workforce, A, don't let them leave if they, you know, if, if you can do anything about it and, and tailor to, to the next stage of what their career looks like, whether that's becoming becoming a consultant, becoming more specialized or helping curate this this new era of cybersecurity and IT individuals. Um, from your perspective, as you were going through this, how do you tie this back to zero trust and Implementing, implementing modern security practices, keeping in mind these intergenerational differences?
2: Yeah, what an interesting question. I think when it comes to cybersecurity in, in general um, and zero trust specifically, it definitely takes a village. Um, you know, people are always looking for the silver bullet solution. You know, if I only had this, it would solve my security. Problems and the reality is, um, as you know, any practitioner will tell you, is there is no single solution. And zero trust certainly embodies the idea that um, security is a journey, it um, involves a lot of different technologies and, and architecture that comes together to kind of fulfill this promise of a more secure environment. So um, I think the interesting takeaway for me, if I tie it back to zero trust, is um, it is certainly a blend of legacy and modern technologies that go into creating a zero trust type security architecture and think about all of the people that um, impact all of those different purchasing decisions, how those uh, security technologies are managed and maintained. So I I can see the generational aspect playing out when I think about the zero trust journey going from um, legacy technologies like VPNs that have been there since the 90s to the more modern solutions that we have today and all of the different people it takes to manage, run, integrate, manage and maintain those systems.
0: Yeah, it really does. It, it, It highlights the the nuances and the intricacies of change management, right? And we've always talked about on on this particular podcast as well with an array of SMEs is it's not that zero trust is hard and it's not that the technology isn't there. It's that irregardless change is hard. And so as you start going through this idea of, you know, whether you call it zero trust, whether you call it modernization of, you know, security transformation or insert XYZ buzzword here, it goes well beyond, I'm going to buy a solution, put it in, right? That, that kind of feels like, you know, Henry, what you were saying is the millennial approach is here's a technology, put it in, easy button, go, we're off and running, great, what's the next problem? And it's like, there has to be a lot more uh, methodical to that and take into consideration that human component, not just the end users of the technology that you're putting into place, but the impact of the technology for the people who are actually going to be maintaining it and using it and configuring it and advancing it within the organization and becoming champions of it you know um that's that's really interesting and then before we kind of go into any kind of wrap up here i would like to give both of you an opportunity just to kind of share with the audience any final thoughts or or parting recommendations that they might want to keep top of mind as, as a part of this topic henry would you mind sharing any any final thoughts or anything that you haven't yet covered
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think what's really important is the practicalities. Julie mentioned it takes a village to get things done, and it really does. So I'm an advocate of using lots of different generations, lots of different ages and experience and skill, add them to the village. And so I think my final words would be the practicalities are around continuous training, uh, lots of case studies, doomsday settings, and not just the cybersecurity people, but across all organisations um if i ruled the world and sometimes i really think i should but if i ruled the world what i would like to have is that health and safety which is so important in organisations it should be the same with cybersecurity all organisations should really think about embedding that into the the heart and the guts of an organisation and everybody should see it as their responsibility because it's such an important part of our world now the technology is only going to get cleverer and so that, that's really what I would would encourage, you know, continuous learning and development, continuous raising of awareness and insights, and continuing sharing of knowledge, uh, reverse mentoring, mentoring, um, and all of those things that actually help people to recognize that we're in this together. It isn't us and them. It isn't older and younger. It's all of us together.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Julie, any parting thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think there's a really interesting report
2: that I read recently by Corn Ferry, and um, part of it had to... You know, deal with this era of skill shortage. And there was a comment in there that companies have a lot to gain by becoming more we than me. And their research showed that diverse and inclusive teams are much better at solving complex problems. They're more innovative and they make better decisions 87% of the time. So if we apply that to the topic and the study that we did around generational IT, it just shows you how there is a spot for everyone um, throughout the generational um, landscape that are working in IT. And certainly um, people from you know, these diverse different um, eras can come together and really help in the area of improving your cybersecurity. Uh, don't you know, think of anyone's skill as less than someone else's. It's, it's the sum of all of them that will help make improvements.
0: Okay, so we're gonna end this with a game that we like to play. Uh, It's a rapid fire question game, so we basically ask three questions and um, each of you answer as fast as you possibly can. And Henry, we'll start with you and then Julie, you can answer afterwards. Um, Question number one, and it's very, very, uh, very on topic, pick your favorite decade and tell us why.
1: Uh, For me, my favorite decade is 2010 to 2020. Okay. And the reason why why is because that's when I started to do professional speaking. And so my whole life really changed. And uh, if you had said to me in 2009 that I was going to become a speaker, I would have laughed in your face. But uh, that's what happened. And it's amazing what a decade can do. So my world just changed between 2010 and 2020. And uh, yeah, because I became a professional speaker. So there you go.
2: Thanks for sharing that. Julie, how about you? All right. I'm going to show my age here and my generational bias. I'm in <laughs> the 80s. <laughs> um, the 80s, to me, were just a time of fun. You know, uh, people were coming out of, you know, I think more heavier events that happened in the 60s and the 70s, and they just want to have fun again. So I think pop culture really kicked into gear and gave us some uh, fun movies and music and TV shows. Um, I will say, though, that the 80s let us down in two very important areas. One is fashion and the other is hair.
0: Very important, fashion and (laughs) hair. All right, next question. Are you more productive in the morning or at night?
1: Um, I'm productive in the morning. By 10 o'clock at night, I wanna go to bed.
2: Yeah. I ditto that. Morning, but not too early. Um, So, you know, the nine o'clock-ish hour uh, works really well for me. By end of night, yes, I'm not thinking of anything terribly brilliant.
0: And where is your favorite vacation
1: spot? Um, I have to say this with a mixture of pride and embarrassment. My favorite vacation spot's Las Vegas. I know I sit <laughs> right on the edge of Europe. And I spent my childhood and my early adult years across Europe. But I love Vegas. I, I'm sorry, I just adore it. And I haven't been there for years and I really miss it. I risk I miss the Grand Canyon and the Hoover Dam and Red Rock Canyon horse riding and the shows and the hotels. And I don't gamble even. I just love everything about it. It's it's just fantastic. I even have a favorite restaurant in Las Vegas called Majanos. That's how much I love it.
0: I've got to imagine that in your field of work and that you were so studious of of, of people that las vegas is like just you can just sit there and people watch and learn from all different walks of life i could i could definitely see why that makes sense
1: it does george you know in fact i wrote my first book in vegas and yeah it just you're right i just was watching people all day long and and loving it and just started tapping away on my laptop that was that so there you go
0: there you go julie how about you
1: Wow. Uh, you're making
2: me want to travel for sure. I miss, uh, I miss that. Um, if I had to pick a single spot, it would be, um, any beautiful white sand beach. Um, there is absolutely nothing better than listening to water and watching a sunset.
0: My wife would agree with you. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with that. Okay. So listen, thank you both so very much for being on today's show. Uh, and for the audience, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find the show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. And if you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is a production of Appgate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organizations. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30.
2: There it is. Awesome. Thank, Thank you me. both. That was fun.
1: Thank you. <laughs> That's great, really good.